15 verse 11 says this. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. Notice the statement is that, hey, can I have what it is that you have for me as a gift? Please give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. It's a little thing called entitlement. Just to throw that out there. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to, the, and then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. This is the part that just gets crazy for me. Verse 16, he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything because he squandered everything that his father had given him. When he came to his senses, you ever had that moment where you come to your senses? Right? And you're like, oh, what am I doing? He said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. Then it gets good. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter and let's celebrate with a feast. Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Today as we close out our series in process, I want to speak to you from the subject a long way off. A long way off. As we look at the nature and character of God in the midst of our process. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's, it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And so God, right now, in your presence, we ask you to change us. God, we need your words for our lives, not mine. So I pray that you would remove me, get me out of the way, so that we could hear your voice for our lives. And in speaking to us through your word, may we experience your presence, may we experience your grace, and may we be changed. May we walk out of here different than how we, we came in. And in this moment, God, I pray that you would bless every single dad in this house today. We love you. We worship you with everything that we are. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted... Amen. I love being a, a dad. Um, it's been probably one of the coolest journeys of my life, and I am I'm the furthest thing from a perfect perfect dad. Um, I, I yell at my kids sometimes. I, I mess up. Um, I don't make the right decisions. Um, I say no many times because I don't want the repercussions of their decision. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Dad, can we do this? No. Why? Because I simply don't want to get up right now. Like, that's, <laughs> let's just be honest. That's why <laughs> Eric is like, you can't say no all the time. And I was like, well, I can. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not a perfect dad. I, I, I strive to be a great dad, right? 
And I work hard to be a, a, a great dad. It's, it's one of the great joys of my life. But even more than being a dad is watching my kids in, like, grow into their personality. Come on, parents. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And uh, I love my kids. They all have very different personalities. My son is, uh, my son is growing. Uh, I think his arms are longer than his body right now. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's, fun, it's fun to watch. But he's growing. His personality is coming out a little bit more. And uh, he's more of the uh, watches. He watches things. He's a little bit timid. He kind of hangs back. He lets his, uh, his younger sister Shiloh engage in the most dangerous of things before he decides whether it's uh, the right decision for him. And so that, that's my son. Uh, Shiloh, my, my eight-year-old daughter, she is all fire and fury. And uh, she's, she's extreme. She's very, very like loving and, and docile one minute and then she will change on like literally a dime. And I'm like, what is in your soul right now? <laughs> Whoa, that fast, like that, that, that fast. I mean, and it's dramatic and it's drama. Uh, she is my teenager without being a teenager yet. And then there's our two-year-old. And our two-year-old, she's next level right now. And, and she's, she's kind of, she's sweet. She's got a very just sweet face, but she's bullish. She walks around like this right now. And, and I constantly tell her, like, babe, pick, like, pick your head up because she'll run into things. And, uh, but she's just, she like, just like this. This is how she walks sometimes. And my wife says, I walk like this too when I'm not paying attention to how I'm walking. But, and uh, out of all my kids, Justice and Shiloh are the most gracious towards people. Right? How many of you know those kids? Like, they trust everybody almost. Like, if they come in, like, if you're in their world, they're for the most part, um, they'll accept you and love you. And they're, they're pretty like, okay, you're, you're cool. You're not going to do anything. Like, I have to teach them say no to strangers and run from people. I got to teach them that, right? But then there's my daughter, Elle. And I don't know what's going on in her personality, but she is suspect of everybody. <laughs> And so if you come up on, like, if you come up on her six, she, she'll, like, give you the, she'll, like, she'll twist her head. And if you try, we were, at the, we were at the mall yesterday, and this lady tried to give her a gift. And this is what she did. She pulled back. She looked at the lady, and she's like. She's <laughs> trying to give her a ball. They're trying to cozy up, and she was like a nicer, older lady too. And you know, she was at the, we were at the mall, and so they, like, she was super sweet about it. Hey, do you want this ball? And she's like. <laughs> about that. I was like, baby, like, do you want the ball? And I was then trying to be the dad that was like, please don't, like, don't make us look rude. <laughs> right? So I'm like pushing her. She's like, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. She kept saying, uh-uh. And I was like, she wants to give you a ball. Uh-uh, uh-uh. And she'd walk away and then like look at her. I said, baby, there's nothing wrong with her. She's good. She's going to be nice to you. She's, uh-uh. And then she just walked away from me. And I was like, okay, whatever. This is my daughter. And as I was thinking about it, this is how many of us treat God. Because we are unaware or have lack of understanding when it comes to his nature and his character. My daughter was, this lady was super nice looking and she was peaceful and everything like that. But she was assessing something deeper than just the looks of this lady. She didn't know her. She didn't understand her. She hadn't spent time with her. And so because of that, Elle wouldn't approach this lady to get a gift because she was suspect of the nature and character of this person. Yeah. 
And see, for many of us, this is how we treat God as a father. Because of our past, because of our experiences, because of the things that we've gone through in life. When God tries to give us a gift, when he tries to engage in her life, I'm a priest this morning, when he tries to get into our world, we back off and we give him the stank eye because we are unaware and unknowledgeable of his nature and his character. And so we have a, we have a hard time drawing near to him. And then we read a story like this. And here's this father, this good father, who gave everything that he had to his two sons from the position of a son believing he was entitled to it. And I think one of the greatest struggles that we have in life and in faith, and especially when it comes to the process that we're in, is we can't allow God into our process because we don't trust his nature and his character. And this is probably one of the most important truths that we can deal with within this series, and that's why I've saved it for last. The nature and character of God, because for many of us, our confusion and our lack of understanding and misunderstanding of God is what keeps us from walking the process of life and faith in relationship with Him. See, some of us in this series could get down with this series from a pragmatic point of view. You will do process. You're like, I love the idea of process. Process is awesome. Let's do process, 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 process. But the question is, will you do process with God in the process? Will you allow him to work in the process? Or are you doing your process suspect of God? And so I hope that through the next few minutes this morning... We can understand just a little bit deeper the nature and character of God so that we can allow him into our process. Because no, no, matter, no matter the amount of, of pride or energy or effort or thought that you put into your process, that I put into my process, without God our process is nothing. Here's what our process is without God. It's hard work. Here's our process without God. It's futile. Here's our process without God. It's frustrating. And ultimately, our process without God leads us back to understanding the same thing that we understood at the beginning of this whole in-process thing, is that we are deficient of any capability to process things the way that we need to without Jesus. And so we need to understand the heart of God. We need to understand his, his nature and his, his character. And I think we can all identify with the prodigal son. I know I can. I want to do things my way. Come on, somebody. I want what I want when I want it. Or am I the only one in this church this morning that does it that way? All right? And I want what I want when I want it, how I want it, and I do not want to have to think about the repercussions of any of my decisions. And like the prodigal son, when I realize that I've messed things up, I am reluctant and shame-filled in approach to God again. You know what's so interesting about the prodigal son is that he had known his father for so long, yet his approach would not be representative of the father's nature and character. He had been in his father's house for all of these years. Think about this. Yet when he messes up, when he squanders everything, the Bible tells us that he was already coming up with his argument. You ever been there before? You ever been in that moment where you're like, you know you have a conversation coming, and so you work yourself up because you're trying to figure out like what it is that you're going to say before they say it, and then when they say this, I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to come this way. They're going to go that way, and boom, I win. <laughs> Spouses, we do this all the time. 
<laughs> right? The problem is, is that my wife's a great arguer, so I lose every single time. <laughs> like, believe it or not, I'm not fast on my feet. So, like, she's really fast on her feet. So, I, like, I get myself backed into the corner all the time, and I'm like, pause. Give me 20 hours to prep a message. I'm going to preach at you in a minute. <laughs> then we'll see who wins the argument. <laughs> So the son approaches his father from a disposition that we, that I'm still unclear how he learned this disposition. Because if you think about it, the father's already showed his graciousness in the fact that he would give him the inheritance. That right there tells us already who this father is. But yet upon spending it all and getting rid of all of it, the son says, I'm not worthy to be my father's son anymore. I'm just going to be a hired servant. And I think what's interesting about us is that we can come to church every single week. We can be a part of table groups every single week. We can do our Bible studies and we can do our Greek studies and we can do our dissertations and we can listen to all of our podcasts and still not know the Father's heart. Yeah. We can be in relationship with him. We can, we can be engaged. We can be in the house of God and still not know his heart. See, the distance between father and prodigal was due to a deficient and broken understanding on behalf of the son. And I believe that this is something that so many of us face in our process. Whether we've been a Christ follower for years or have yet to make the decision. And this is why the statement, I want you to hear this this morning, a long way off... It's such a powerful one. It was not an assessment of the son's position as much as it was a description of the father's posture. Because when we read this, so many of us identify automatically with the prodigal while he was a long way off. And we see, oh, oh, that, that's, that's a description of where the son is at, a long way off. But I read it very differently because this parable is not so much about the two sons as much as it's about the father. And we so many times identify with the prodigal son. But when the Bible says that he was a long way off, it is giving us a reference point for how the father was seeing the situation and it was showing us his disposition which was on the edge waiting for his son to come back it was as if he was gazing on the horizon to see his son somewhere over there so that when the sun came over the horizon he could run to his son a long way off and I think that's what Psalm 34, 18 helps us understand when it says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those crushed in spirit. So as Jesus works through these parab this parable, he uses these characters to highlight so much about who we are as people. The two sons. And the nature and character of God, the Father. And so I want to take the remainder of our time together to look at four truths the Father shows us about God in the midst of our process. Can we do that this morning? Can we do that this morning? Yeah. I need your help. Every shot number one. This is the first thing that we need to understand about the Father in this moment is he sees us through eyes of mercy. Luke 15, 20, watch what it says. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. Come on, everybody shout that. Everybody, everybody shout, saw him. saw him. Turn to your neighbor and say, saw him. Saw him. Turn to your other neighbor and say, use his eyes. <laughs> and then watch what happens. And was filled with compassion. 
The New Dictionary of Biblical Theology says this, mercy is a quality fundamental to God's interaction with humankind. In the English Bible, the noun signifies concrete expressions of compassion and love. In other words, mercy is defined quality that represents the nature and character of God and one that is given by the measure of grace that he has for each of our lives. And not only that, he gives us the ability to show mercy, but that's a grace given to us. Why? Because human default is not mercy. We're merciless. Aren't we? And here's why. Because we've been raised with the ideology that you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. We even do that with our kids, right? You get what you if, if my kid messes up, then there's grounding or timeout or this or that, whatever your, your chosen discipline is. And, and, and because I'm teaching them that you get what you deserve, which is interesting because when it comes to God, they're going to have to understand a totally different reality. That because of God's, the way he sees things, that he sees us through the eyes of mercy, this son didn't get what he deserved. Yeah. That's crazy. He was given mercy. This is why I believe that this parable is more about the father than it's about the sons. Because this parable highlights the actions of the father in stark contrast to that which we experience in daily life. We are so quick to judge the circumstances of others and ourselves that we fail to realize that God sees things differently than we do. He sees us a long way off. Which we all are. But he sees us through the eyes of mercy. New Dictionary of Biblical Theology says this again. It continues. It says, Mercy forms the foundation of the communion God desires with humankind. And not surprisingly, the New Testament interprets God's mercy largely in the light of the Christ event. The supreme expression of love, mercy, and grace. Jesus got all that we deserved and we get his grace freely through faith in him. So the crazy thing to think about is biblically that we've been given mercy in and through Jesus. He sees us in our process through the eyes of mercy. Number two, every shot number two. Second thing is this. He runs to us with feet of compassion. Come on, somebody. He runs to us with feet of compassion. I think we can miss these two words. They're super important. Luke 15, verse 20. He ran. Is it up there? That's my only slide. He ran. The guys who were doing the notes for us yesterday, they emailed me. They're like, is there more? <laughs> nope. He ran. He saw the sun with, with, with eyes of mercy. He was filled with compassion. And for many of us, we stop there. Have you ever been there before? I'm filled with compassion. I have an emotive, re- like a motive moment. Like I feel so good about it. But here's, here's the difference between us and God so many times. Is that after God sees us, there's an action. He was filled with compassion, the Bible tells us about the Father. And then he ran. Because let's be really honest. How many times have you been filled with something and never done anything about it? 
Come on. Can we talk truth in church today? How many times, I know I've done this with Erica, so many times where I knew that she was deserving of I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And I, and, and, and I see her and, and I'm feeling all the feels like, Jason, you need to go. You need to say sorry. You need to say sorry. Right? But the human response, let's be real, is nope, I'm staying right here. Uh-uh. She's getting what she deserves. This distance. There's been times where I had an emotive, like an emotive moment, and I've held back the action, but not the father. He was filled with compassion, and then he ran. This is different than the first point because of our need to focus on the action. The other day, Elle was climbing, my youngest, she was climbing on a jungle gym. And uh, we were at some friend's house and he was, she was on this jungle gym. She was on the bottom step and everything like that. And parents, come on, let's just be honest. We have superpowers, don't we? Right? We hear things like we've never heard them before. We see things like we've never seen them before. We smell things like we've never smelt them before. Okay? And so I was talking to my friends. I wasn't even paying attention, but I had the reference point. I knew my daughter was on the jungle gym. And it was one of those jungle gyms that was bar, feet, bar, feet. You know those ones? It's just four metal bars. And my daughter is not quite that tall yet, like to get between these two bars. But I was like, ah, she's fine. Her brother and sister's over there. It's going to be all good. She's on the bottom. She's on the bottom rung. And then so we continued talking. I wasn't paying attention. And parents, you know, all of a sudden that feeling that just whoop, you know, something's wrong. And it was in that moment that I felt this like Oh, I should look over and see where my daughter's at. To turn and look, and she's now at the top bar almost. Okay? And I didn't even think about it. I didn't, like, stop and go, I wonder if she's going to make this. Like, I wonder if she's going to negotiate this. It was turn, got up, and took off running across the yard. I'm sprinting now across the yard right when she falls. Now, she's a tough girl. So when she fell, she grabbed on. And she's holding, and now she's just suspended between these bars, holding on. And I was like, you go, girl. <laughs> and she's hanging there, and, 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 I'm, and I'm still like running in this moment because I know that any moment her grip is going to give out. And I ran because I knew what was about to happen, and I had compassion on my daughter. She still fell, but I rescued her in the fall so it was not as bad as it could have been. And the interesting thing is, is that many of us fight the action of God's compassion in the name of independence and stubbornness. We will gladly hold on to the bar and then fall. And then we get mad at God. Come on, somebody. He ran in compassion. And that is God's heart to us. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, as we are yet without sin. And therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help, grace to help us in time of need. And so many of us don't realize the significant truth. That he sees us, He's felt what we felt, and therefore he runs towards us with the feet of compassion. 
And it's God's compassion that enables us to trust him. Come on, church. Which then brings us to number three, which is a really important one. This is what happens next. Number three, he embraces us with arms of grace. Watch this, Luke 15, verse 20. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son had nothing. The son was coming from a position where he was feeding pigs, desiring their food, was a mess, he had nothing. It was a severe famine in the land. So we know that the position that he then found himself in after losing everything was not the best of positions. And he realized in that moment, the son said, man, I gotta go back to my father because if I go back to my father, I'm gonna have everything that I need. I'm gonna get everything that I need because this is how he treats his servants. And so it's easy to presume that as the son goes walking back downtrodden and he's got his head down and his countenance is broken and he's shame-filled and he doesn't like himself, he may even hate himself, all the entitlement's gone, all the ego is gone, all the pride is gone, all the personality is gone, everything that he is is gone because he's a mess, he's sloppy, he's got pig stuff all over him, he hasn't eaten in days, he's not the best, and he comes running to his father to see if it could all change. And here's what's interesting is before he can get a word in edgewise, his father embraces him. Now I've watched some of you in this church shake hands with people. And then the minute you do, Purell comes out. <laughs> you laugh because you know what I'm talking about. We do this out, we do this in the we do this in our workplaces. How many of you are just pureled up right now? You got Purell in your purse, in your mad bag, in your back pocket, wherever you need to have what well, we're constantly I put Purell on all the time. The father didn't put Purell on anything. The father embraced him in all of his mess, and all of his yuckiness, and all of the slop, and all of the stuff. He put his arms around him and he kissed him. When my daughter, who's still in diapers, does her thing, I still hold her out here. Erica's like, hey babe, she's got a diaper. I'm like, yes she does. And I'll pick my daughter up. And I don't grab her. If I can be descriptive for a moment, just for the sake of the argument, I don't grab her and embrace her. Come on. We don't do that. She's got stuff all over and in her diaper and she smells and scr- I'm not like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Baby girl, you just made my day. <laughs> we don't do that. I'm like, come on. Get. I put her on the thing. Changing table. One hand on the chest. around his neck and he kissed him. Grace is the embrace regardless of the mess. And the embrace of grace is where our identity is transformed. And what's so hard for many of us to realize that you come in a place like this and God wants to embrace you. People want to embrace you. 
and we can't allow ourselves to be embraced because we think our mess is too messy. And what the Father shows us is that our mess is never too messy for His grace. That He embraces us with arms of grace. And He kisses on the neck. This is the most intimate expression of father-son that you can see within Scripture. And for many of us, we would be awkward if this happened with our dad. Grace is the all-access pass to God. His blessings, His provisions, love, His mercy, His forgiveness for our lives. I want to ask us this question this morning. Have you accepted his embrace of grace? Because some of us are far away, we're, we're a long way off, and that's how we see our, and we're like, man, I, I just, I don't know if God, I don't know if God could take me, take me like this. Like, my, my addiction is in full, full bore. I've got all this stuff going on in my life. I, I've, I've made bad decisions, and my relationships have been horrible. Man, if they just knew what happened last night alone, man, I can't believe it. And while we're going through this regiment in our mind, it's like God is running at it. Like, he's in full cant towards us. He wants to embrace you. The question is, is will you? accept the embrace of his grace which then brings us to the last one and it's this number four he runs to us with the feet of compassion he sees us with the eyes of mercy he embraces us with the arms of grace and then he restores us with hands of impartation Luke 15 verse 20 But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put on a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So he began, they began to celebrate. The father then does something that in many ways is heretical at best. He imparts him with gifts. Can you see why I believe now this story is not about the sons as much as it's about the father? Because if you really read it, see, all of us identify with the sons. I left out the other part because the older brother, he's just a knucklehead. He gets jealous. He gets frustrated. All this is going on because they're throwing a party for the younger brother who was lost and is now found. And in this, the dad the whole time is trying to like keep him apart and go like, no, no. And he's trying to focus the attention back on himself going, listen, do you see what kind of father I am? And Jesus is telling us this story so that we can understand how he operates in our life. He says, here's a ring. Many times that ring, that signet ring, was an affirmation of authority. So he's letting him know, no, no, I'm not going to make you a servant. I'm going to make you a son. He puts a robe on him to clothe him with something that was better than how he showed up. And sandals? Sandals, that was just an accoutrement to the whole reality. Because for many of them, they didn't have sandals. And it was just simply saying, here, I got some good stuff for you. It was provision. And then they went even further. Because culturally speaking, most of the time they would have never eaten like that unless there was dignitaries or important people coming to the house. And so this calf that was being produced for slaughter eventually, he says, listen, go get the cow. Ribeyes tonight. 
It's Father's Day, sorry. (laughs) A long way off. It was not about the son's position as much as it was about the father's disposition. And I want to say to some of us in here today, God is sitting on the edge of a seat waiting to see you at the horizon. That's what his mercy, that's what his grace, that's what his compassion is about. Because he's waiting for you simply just to say yes to him. And when he saw that sun come over the horizon line, that was permission. His son didn't have to get it all together. He didn't have to have perfection going on. He didn't have to have the right job or the right looks or the right this or the right that or the right, like he didn't have to know a bunch of the Bible. He didn't have to pray with big words or anything like that. He just saw the sun come over the horizon line. And when he came over that line, he's like, oh, there's my permission. I'm coming running full bore right at you. Why? Because when he came over the horizon, he said yes to it. And that father said, no, uh-uh. I'm not going to allow that space in between horizon and my porch to talk him out of the decision that he's making. And so I'm going to run towards him. I'm going to come at him. I'm going to hug him and I'm going to kiss him and I'm going to clothe him and I'm going to give him everything that he needs. I'm bridging the gap. Jesus bridged the gap. We hung on the cross. He bridged the gap. For you and for me.